Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You always, always make a way for us. No matter how big, no matter how impossible, no matter how unexpected our obstacles may be, You are there for us to strengthen us, to uphold us, to lift us up, to provide and make a way for us. Help us, Lord, in every circumstance to turn to You before we turn to anything or anyone else. Help us to rely on You instead of relying on our own strength. Help us to remember that everything we have, our strength and our deliverance and our victories and our success comes only from You. Visit with us now, Father, and as we study Your Word, give us open hearts and minds and ears. In the precious name of Your Son, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever had a bad day? Really bad day. Have you ever had a day where it seemed like everything went wrong? Nothing went according to plan and everything was unexpected. Well, Brian Heiss had a day like that. True story. Brian lives in Provo, Utah, and he experienced a single day that takes the cake. We know it's true because there are records of four separate emergency room visits in the same day. First, Brian's apartment became flooded from a broken pipe in the apartment above his. So his manager told him to go rent a water vacuum. Well, he hopped in his car and that's when Brian discovered he had a flat tire. So he went inside to phone a friend for help, but because he was standing in water when he grabbed the phone, he got an electrical shock that threw him to his knees and caused him to rip the phone off the wall. Well, by the time he collected himself and was finally ready to leave, water damaged had swelled the door jam shut. He had to yell for a neighbor to come and kick the door down. His neighbor kindly took him to the emergency room to be treated for electrical shock and burns. While he was out, because Brian had left his keys in the car, someone stole it. Flat tire and all. However, it was almost out of gas. So after returning from the hospital, Brian found the car a few blocks away. That was good news. But he still had to push it to a gas station to fill it up. And after pushing it away with all his strength, he found that the pushing started getting easier. Car started rolling downhill on its own. So Brian quickly ran in front of the car to try and stop it. Yeah, when the car rolled over him, breaking several bones in his foot. After another emergency room visit, it was evening now, and Brian had to attend a military ceremony at his university. Unfortunately, due to the difficulty of moving around in his new cast, he injured himself severely when he somehow sat on his bayonet, which he had tossed on the front seat of his car. Fortunately, on his third emergency room visit of the day, doctors were able to stitch up his wound. However, his four pet canaries were not so lucky. All of them were crushed by falling plaster from the wet apartment ceiling. So when he got back from the university, Brian, distraught at the sight of his four dead pet canaries, slipped on the wet carpet and badly injured his back. As he lay waiting for the ambulance to take him to the ER for the fourth time that day, 
He said he began to wonder if God wanted him dead, but just kept missing. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you've ever had a single day that was that bad. But we've all had days where we faced suddenly unexpected circumstances. Situations we, we, we didn't anticipate, we didn't plan for. Trials that came upon us in an instant. Overwhelming obstacles that we did not foresee. It can be terrifying, jolting, paralyzing. Jehoshaphat certainly knew how that felt. Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah were enjoying a time of relative peace and safety when everything suddenly changed in an instant. Turn with me to our text this morning or look up at the video screens to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And for a bit of context, what do we know about King Jehoshaphat? Well, Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah under the divided monarchy where Israel and Judah were split, Israel to the north, Judah to the south. He was the son of Asa, and we're first introduced to him in 1 Kings 15, 24, but we're told nothing more than he was the son of, of Asa and succeeded him. Later, 1 Kings 22, 42 tells us that he was 35 years old when he began his reign, and he reigned for 25 years. Spiritually, Jehoshaphat began his reign in a very, very positive way. 2 Chronicles 17, 3 through 6 gives this commendation. It says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the ways of his father David before him. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. He cleaned house. In addition, we we hear that Jehoshaphat sent men throughout the kingdom to teach the people the law of God. Militarily, he did great things. He fortified his defenses, primarily against the northern kingdom of Israel. the The surrounding nations feared Jehoshaphat. They respected him. They brought tribute. He continued to make reforms, appointing judges throughout the land to handle disputes and arguments. And he charged them to make righteous judgments and to fear the Lord. So at this point in his reign, Judah enjoyed a time of great peace, safety, prosperity. Clearly, the Lord honored Jehoshaphat for the righteous stands he took. And all was well and all was peaceful and all was calm. And here, smack dab in the middle of all the nice peace and all the nice calm, the unexpected occurs. Let's read in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Meonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. So the quiet and the peace certainly didn't last long. In the midst of it came the unexpected. Not one, how many? The Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites. Three ites. Three armies have joined forces and are marching to decimate you. 
Oh, and by the way, they're here. And Gedi was a wilderness city that was part of Judah. So they're here. They're on your front door. The caravan is here, Jehoshaphat. He was outnumbered. He was under-equipped. He was unprepared in the midst of the unexpected. Have you ever been there? The doctor calls you back and tells you they found a spot on your x-ray. The bill you weren't anticipating arrives in the mail. What's a supplemental property tax? You find out the house needs what now? The child you thought would never bring you trouble breaks your heart. Your manager calls you in to tell you you're being laid off. You're being downsized. The friend you thought would be forever loyal turns their back on you. You weren't prepared. You weren't anticipating. You're in the midst of the unexpected. What do you do? How do you respond? Where do you turn? Well, Jehoshaphat provides us in this chapter the most perfect blueprint for the most perfect action plan for handling the unexpected. We're going to look at the five deliberate steps he took in response to that unexpected attack. First step, seek God. Let's keep reading in verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for Judah. I love the realness. I love the humanity and the honesty of Scripture. We don't read that he was unfazed by the attack. Unfazed, Jehoshaphat... No. What's Jehoshaphat's first response when he hears the news of the attack? First word, alarmed. Fear. Fear. His first response was fear. But that was not his last response. The fear he first felt didn't drive his first reaction. That's a key. We're all going to experience fear at an unexpected trial. We're human. There's always going to be fear of the unknown, fear of the unexpected. That may naturally be our first response. But like Jehoshaphat, may it not be our last response. The fear must not paralyze us. That fear must not hold us. That fear must not keep us from taking our first step. And that fear must not cause us to take the wrong step. Jehoshaphat sets the fear aside and he acts. Now, what are the first steps you would expect a king to take in light of an impending attack? Well, survey your army resources, deploy battle positions, fortify your defenses, maybe retreat the the women and children to barricaded shelters. None of it. Jehoshaphat took none of the expected steps of war. What did he do? He went to the Lord. Some translations say he set himself. And I love that because it paints an image of him physically turning his back to the problem so that he could see the Lord's face and receive his counsel. And the song we just sang said that. He turned his back to his problem and his face to the Lord. It was a very deliberate and dedicated action. It says he resolved to inquire of the Lord. He was firmly 
deliberate and dedicated and resolute in the course of action he decided upon. It wasn't a, well, let me, let me, let me try this. Let me try God and then I'll try A, B, and C. There were no concurrent plans. God was not the backup plan. God was not plan one of four. God was it. That was Jehoshaphat's plan. Now, can you imagine the naysayers at that point? Jehoshaphat, you're doing what? Prayer. A a fast. They're marching. Don't, Don't we need our strength? Shouldn't we be preparing for battle? Jehoshaphat, you're praying instead of preparing. Why? Because Jehoshaphat knew where his strength comes from. He knew where his help comes from. Jehoshaphat was wise enough to realize that his help wouldn't come from his armies. His help wouldn't come from his fortifications. His help wouldn't come from running away. His help wouldn't come from defending. His help wouldn't come from attacking. His help would only come from the Lord. What do we do? What do we do when the unexpected drops on us? So often when we're caught unaware in the face of of an impending storm or crisis, we turn our eyes straight to the problem and we're focused. Right? That's what the world conditions us to do. Focus on your problem. Focus on your obstacle. We focus on it. We analyze it. We extrapolate it. We ask others about their experience with it. We begin to wonder what if this and what if that and what if and what if and what happens. We either freeze in fear or we spin in trying to come up with our own solutions. We're we're drowning in trouble, in a sea of trouble, and, and instead of reaching up to grab solid ground, we flail and we struggle and we look down and start analyzing the water we're drowning in. Friend, the rock is right within reach. Reach up and grab it. Psalm 61, 1-2. I've always loved this verse. It says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Turn your back to your problem and your face to the Lord. Seek God. The focus shouldn't be on the mountain. It should shift to the mountain mover. Deliberately, intentionally, and resolutely seek God. Jehoshaphat inquired of him. Inquire of him. Ask God what to do. Give him your problem. Seek his will in your unexpected. Seek his will in your unknown. Prayer should never be our last resort. Turning to God for help should never be our last resort should be our first step. Step one. Vance Havner told a story about an elderly lady who, who was greatly disturbed by her many troubles, both real and imaginary. Finally, someone in her family tactfully told her, Grandma, we've done all we can for you. You'll just have to turn to God for the rest. And a look of sheer and absolute terror and despair spread over her face as she replied, Oh dear, has it come to that? Havner commented, It always comes to that. So we might as well begin with that. Seeking God should be our first step in the unexpected. Step one, seek God. Step two, ask others to seek God with you. 
Let's keep reading in verse 4. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. Well, if the prayer of one person can move the Lord, imagine what the prayers of an entire group can do. Imagine what the prayers of an entire church can do. We've seen that, haven't we? Sherry, we've seen that. Jess, we've seen that, huh? Share your burden with your fellow believers so they may pray with you. You know, I'm always stunned when someone shares with me about a burden or a storm in their lives and says, please, don't tell anyone. I don't want anyone to know. I respect that, of course, but I always wonder, why not? I have cancer, but I don't want anyone to know. I'm facing a crisis. I got really bad news, but I don't want anyone to know. Why not? If I have an emergency, I would want everyone to know. The more prayers pleading to the Lord on my behalf, the better. I get it. Look, I'm, I'm a very private person, but when I'm hit with a crisis for which I need serious, urgent prayer, you know, the first thing you'll hear from me is, dun, 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 the following is a one call from the Santa Monica. Please pray for me. Please lift up prayers on my behalf. The power of corporate prayer is a mighty thing. Have we seen that? It should be one of the primary focuses of the church as God intended it when He established the early church in Acts. Acts 1.14 tells us they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with His brothers. We do that, don't we? Prayer meetings. Every time I start thinking that we could use that prayer meeting time for something else to study this or to read this or go through that program, I remember that the most important thing we can be doing as a church is praying. They came together to seek help from the Lord. What a powerful thing when a group of people join in unity to lift up a need to the Lord, to seek an answer from God. That's a support system. When people say they don't need church, they don't believe in church, I I don't belong to a church, I don't need to go to a church, I have a relationship with God, and that's all I need. Well, I feel really bad for them. I, I feel like they're missing out on the greatest support system you could possibly imagine. We all need the encouragement of a church family. We all need the fellowship. We all need the support of a church family. We all need the prayers of a church family. We all need the love of a church family. And God hears the prayers of His people, doesn't He? Step one, seek God. Step two, ask others to seek God with you. Step three, wait on God. Let's keep reading verse five. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name. 
saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress. And you will hear us and you will save us. But now, Lord, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It amazes me that there was no battle plan. No military strategy. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It takes a big person to say that, doesn't it? Adam talked about it this morning. We're naturally fixers, right? We pride ourselves on being problem solvers. We, we pride ourselves on tackling big jobs. We pride ourselves on finding solutions to and strategies for big challenges. But there will come a time in your life when all of your cleverness and all of your know-how and all of your connections and, and all of your resources aren't enough. May we realize that before we exhaust ourselves and, and our energies and our resources trying to fix our big problems. We're so rash as human beings, we jump. We jump to try and fix our problems. We, we somehow see it as a credit to ourselves to try everything. We, we lean on our intelligence and our resourcefulness to come up with ideas. And we lean on our strength and our talent to implement those ideas. And we lean on our endurance and our tenacity to, to, to keep trying when we fail and to keep going and try everything possible. But you know, all of the intelligence and resourcefulness and strength and talent and endurance and tenacity can't compare to true wisdom. And true wisdom says, I don't know what to do, but Lord, my eyes are on You. I'm waiting on You, Lord. I'm watching and I'm waiting. It's one thing to, to wait on the Lord when it's not a dire situation, but it's another when it's life or death. When three armies have shown up at your front door to exterminate you and you're waiting on the Lord for an answer. That's faith. That shows true trust in God that, that He will come through no matter how urgent, no matter how late, no matter how difficult or impossible a situation might seem. An anonymously written poem expresses this so well. It says, waiting... Yes, patiently waiting till next steps made plain shall be to hear with the inner hearing the voice that will call for me. Waiting, yes, quietly waiting. No need for anxious dread. Shall He not assuredly guide me who giveth me daily bread? Waiting, yes, hopefully waiting with hope that need not grow dim. The Master is pledged to guide me and my eyes are unto Him. Waiting, expectantly waiting. Perhaps it may be today. The Master will quickly open the gate to my future way. 
waiting, yes, trustfully waiting. I know, though I've waited long, that while He withholds His purpose, His waiting cannot be wrong. Wait patiently. Wait quietly, hopefully, expectantly, and trustfully. Wait on God for an answer. Wait on God for direction. And does He answer? Always. In His perfect timing. Step one, seek God. Step two, ask others to seek God with you. Step three, wait on God for an answer. Step four, accept His direction. Let's keep reading in verse 13. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there waiting before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And he said this, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down his face with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Did God provide direction? Yes. Was it clear? Crystal. Jehaziel, a prophet of God, delivered the instructions with great detail. And I love that when God speaks to man in Scripture, it overwhelmingly starts with, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. He cares so much about our emotions. He wants to encourage and strengthen us. And then He tells the people, exactly what to do. Exactly where to go, down to which path to take. Take up your positions and stand there. Stand firm. Do we raise our weapons? No, 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 no. Just stand there. Oh, okay. Do we fire the first arrow? No, 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 no. Just be where you're supposed to be and do nothing. God will give you the victory. But how? What's he going to do? We're going to stand there. We're sitting ducks. Just watch and see. We don't like what we don't know. The directions were clear, but the directions were weird. Go into battle and do nothing. Strangest battle plan I've heard of since Jericho. Now, there are several ways Jehoshaphat could have reacted to this message. And all of them we would categorize under normal human behavior. First of all, he could have said, sit down, Jehaziel. I only listen when God speaks to me. Well, that's all well and good, but sometimes God speaks to us through those He has placed in authority in our lives. 
Be wise enough to listen to godly counsel from godly sources that God has placed in your life. Amen? He could have said, wait, 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 that doesn't sound right to me. There's no real battle plan there. That's not a strategy. I'll, I'll wait till I hear something different. Thanks for your opinion. We, we can't pick and choose what we want to accept as God's direction. We can't wait till we hear the answer we want to hear. We don't shop around. We don't ask around till we find someone to give us the answer we want to get. No, Jehoshaphat accepted the message from the prophet. He accepted the instructions the Lord provided as strange as they might have been. And he fell down in worship and praise, thanking the Lord for his answer. His thanksgiving, his praise shows his faith in God's plan. As soon as he heard it, he believed it. There was no questioning. He knew it would be successful. That's great faith, friends. We usually take on a cynical wait-and-see approach, don't we? I'm not so sure this is going to work, but, but I'll try it. I'll wait and see if it's going to be successful. Jehoshaphat threw himself down with his face to the ground in worship and praise and thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord, for the answer. Thank you, Lord, for the direction. I know that it will work together for my good. Was the battle over? <laughs> Could they see through the open door to victory? Not at all. But they believed and they praised God. There's a, a sign I recently had custom made to put in our hallway of a quote I, I read just recently and I fell in love with it. And it says this, it says, until God opens the next door, praise Him in the hallway. That's good. That's real good. Are you waiting in the hallway? Praise Him. Wait on Him and praise Him in the dark. That's tough. That's hard for us, isn't it? We want to know what the next door is going to be and when it's going to open and what the door after that's going to be. I was that way. Young people, I, I know exactly what you're going through and I was that way when I was young, long, long time ago. <laughs> I wanted to know what college am I going to attend and what career am I going to have and where am I going to work and who am I going to marry and when. And God said, it doesn't work that way. And, and I, would, I would make deals with God. You know, Lord, whatever talents you give me, Lord, I promise I will use for you. And I, and I will serve you tirelessly and I will do whatever you want me to do and go wherever you want me to go. Just don't ask me to preach, Lord. As long as you don't ask me to preach, we're good. And God says, no deal. Life doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't pick and choose the doors you want God to open for you. You can't pick and choose the doors He asks you to walk through. We don't know what those doors are going to be. We don't know when they're going to open. And we certainly don't know why God asks us to go through those doors. But we go with the light He's given us in the moment. That's faith. We must wait patiently for His leading. We must wait patiently for His answer. Praise Him in the hallway. And when the answer comes, praise Him again because it's the right answer. If it's from the Lord, it's the right answer. 
That's the spirit. That's the attitude. That's the faith that we should have. He accepted the direction of the Lord wholeheartedly. He didn't understand it fully. He didn't know what was going to transpire, but he accepted it. Step one, seek God. Step two, ask others to seek God with you. Step three, wait patiently on him. Step four, accept his answer and his direction. And finally, step five, follow his instructions precisely. Let's keep reading in verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. They did it. They went where they were told and they went expecting a miracle. They didn't know what would happen, but they believed. They followed God's directions with hope, with expectancy, and with joy. They praised Him. They sang to Him on their way to meet their enemies. Oh, that we could have that spirit. Oh, that we could have that kind of attitude and faith in the unknown and the unexpected. When we do obey, so often we question, we grumble, we're tentative, we're hesitant, we're ready to pull the plug at the first sign that God's way isn't working. Or or we obey partially. Or we alter the instructions a little bit, right? You know what, Jehoshaphat, we're going to stay home because God said He'd win the battle for us. No, no. He said, go into battle and watch what He's going to do. We tweak the ask to work for us, to be more convenient for us, to require less sacrifice of us. Right? He wants us to share our testimony with someone, but we decide, well, we're going to witness by our actions. It's not what God asked. Speak up. God asks us to separate from someone or something that's not good for us. And we decide to, well, we're going to stay the course, but we won't let that person or that thing influence us. It doesn't work that way. Friend, God wants our obedience to His exact instructions. Not partial obedience. Not obedience with the spirit or the theme of the ask. He wants us to obey immediately, precisely, and completely. When Adoniram Judson graduated from college and seminary, he, he received a call from a fashionable church in Boston to become its assistant pastor. Everyone congratulated him. It was a dream job. His mother and sister rejoiced that he could live at home with them and do his life work, but Judson shook his head. He said, my work is not here. He said, God is calling me beyond the seas to stay here, even to serve God in his ministry, I feel would be only partial obedience. And I could not be happy in that. And although it cost him a great struggle, he left his mother and sister to follow the heavenly call. He left home and he left it all. And Judson's churches in Burma ended up having 50,000 converts. And the influence and legacy of his consecrated life 
is still felt around the world. God's blessings only come with complete obedience. God's miracles only come with complete obedience. Follow His instructions and await the miracle. Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah did exactly as God instructed. And now let's read the payoff. What's the result of seeking and waiting and listening and accepting and then obeying? Let's read verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. What? How? The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. No one had escaped from themselves. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka where they praised the Lord. That is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. Never forget the source of your victory. Never forget the source of your success. The fear of God, it says, came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. Who fought? Who swung the sword? Who fired the arrow? This story brings tears to my eyes. The battle is not yours, but God's. God will fight it for you. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. Did the Lord come through? just as He said He would. Did the seeking pay off? Did the waiting pay off? Did the obeying pay off? It sure did. What a recipe in the midst of the unexpected. Seek God. Ask others to seek God with you. Wait on Him for an answer. Accept the direction He provides and follow it completely. Friend, are you in the middle of the unexpected today? Something you didn't anticipate? Never dreamed would happen? Weren't prepared to face? Don't fear. Don't struggle. Don't, don't spin. Turn your back to the problem and your face to the Lord. Seek Him. Wait patiently for His direction. And when He provides it, recognize it. Accept it. And go through and follow His plan exactly. When you do, you will realize that He has all you need. You don't have to bring the battle plan. He'll take care of that. You don't have to bring your strength. 
He has more than you'll ever need. You don't have to find a way. He'll make a way. You don't have to fight. He will do the fighting for you. The battle isn't even your battle. He'll take it for you and make it His own. And the miracle, the victory, yeah, He'll bring that too. Stand still and see the deliverance of the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for being our everything. We're so grateful that when we face the unexpected in our lives, we are not alone. Help us to turn to You first and foremost before anything or anyone else. Help us to join with our spiritual family in seeking Your will and lifting up our needs to You. Help us to wait patiently for Your answer. Never jumping out in our own strength. And then help us to accept Your direction, whatever it may be, and to obey it without delay and without alteration. Thank You, Father. Thank You that in our most difficult battles, You are there. You're there with us, uplifting us, encouraging us, strengthening us, and fighting for us. Thank You for being our waymaker and our deliverer. In the precious name of Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.